Believe it or not, it's a town called Flin Flon, exactly in the middle of Canada. Flin Flon is built on solid rock, and one of the first things we noticed were the boxed-in sewer pipes. Above ground, we'd never seen anything like it before. Hey, Raphael Ray with you, a Sewer Box Office Podcast. Got Jim Dandy coming up. Remember, we've got a little bit of commercials that we slip in here, so please listen to those because every listen gets us uh, some shekels. Literally, we've made eight cents so far, so if we can double that, we're doing something very good. We've got Trevor Gordon Sitnik in for this episode. This will be part one of a, probably a few parts as he is a world travel international man of mystery, a technical guru, a mentor to youth. We'll find out his time in the city of sunshine of Dauphin, how we got to tour all over the place with some bands and ended up in Kuwait. This is going to be a doozy. A lot of laughs, a lot of fun as we talk about music and the world and the journey of Trevor Sitnik, our podcast guest. It's a sewer box office podcast. Download, share, tell your friends, tell your enemies. We would sure appreciate it as part one is ready to go. Buffy. <laughs> it still hurts every Struck time I think about it. I couldn't watch the last season oh for like years because I just didn't want it to be over. I couldn't watch that for other reasons. <laughs> Mostly the terrible. No. <laughs> the lack of quality. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Eight. <laughs> Both starring, of course, the great David Boreanaz. <laughs> yes. What? Are you... Oh, the worst, the worst show ever would be Do South with special guest Brian Ferry. <laughs> oh my god, okay. Really? You gotta hit me right where I... Oh, okay. Oh, it's right. gonna be, right, right it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun. So, Dauphin? That's your home, your hometown. Born in Dauphin. City of sunshine. Something like it, eh? God's country. You, I uh, I worked at the Dauphin radio station for three weeks before I was asked to leave. Yeah, you were too, you were too creative, probably. <laughs> Too cool. Is it similar to that of Flin Flon? Is it different? No, it's nothing like Flin Flon. <laughs> dauphin is nothing like Flin Flon. I'd take a hundred Flin Flons over a Dauphin wow. any day. Oh, Just wow. me, I, I used to consider running for mayor, but <laughs> then I then I left. <laughs> <laughs> when did you Oh, I don't know. I quit teaching for a while in 2000 and... Well, you we grew up there and then you left and came back? The dream was to teach at my old school. That's weird. That's a weird dream to have. Yeah, I just loved it. I had, so, I had a lot of fun, you know. I had too much fun probably in school. And so I came back and got a job there. And then uh, realized that I was going to like have to like marry the next nurse that moves to town. <laughs> and uh, spend the next 40 years there waiting to retire. And <laughs> had my... <laughs> no, that I guess so I, I quit. My boss was going to kind of did me a solid and technically laid me off so it gave me a little bit of a buffer when i moved to toronto i don't know if i can say that but 
it was a pretty Statue sweet, pretty sweet deal for me <laughs> because because if, he, if he's listening to Flip Flop Podcast, <laughs> good on yeah, him. Yeah, <laughs> less. But uh, yeah, so because getting a job as a teacher in Toronto meant that was never going to happen. No, so I had they, a, all Ontario teachers. Yes, yeah, so it was good for me. And then yeah, I, I quit and lived in Toronto for three years and just played music. It was a riot. It was like my first midlife crisis. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a couple. So, I'm right on the verge of my third. <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll on. see what happens. <laughs> asking Lane and Lefty what's it like. <laughs> <laughs> so you were, uh, what was growing up in Dauphin like? Was it a solid Ukrainian household? Oh, very Ukrainian. I grew up on a, a dairy farm, actually. Um, in Dauphin proper or the greater Dauphin just area? Greater Dauphin area. And then when my parents got divorced, I moved to town. Uh, I was around 10. Calling it town. Yeah. Moved to, move, move to the city. Yeah. Um, no, so I grew up on a farm, but I was allergic to everything. My grandpa said I was allergic to work. That was always... <laughs> and I don't really argue that. But, um, yeah, since, like, day one out on the farm, I was, like, playing, a like, a tennis racket when I was three. That was, like, I wanted to be Buddy Holly. So I had glasses and a tennis racket. Yeah. Then I got a guitar, and then it was Elvis. And then maybe around seven or eight, it was Guns N' Roses just ah. wrecked me. Just like, wow. I was drawing crosses. I used to go to catechism. My mom, <laughs> my mom forced me to go to catechism, and that lasted for two years. And then I got kicked out. Um, I wasn't even that bad, you know? But, <laughs> but I was living my own dream. Like, every, every break at catechism, um, I would basically run out to the far baseball diamond and there'd be a little trail of like girls, and I'd sing Elvis songs for them. <laughs> that was my like recess one at least at least one recess a week. It was Elvis in the baseball diamond, and I'd just pretend to sing Elvis to them, and it was really cool. And there was one nun who was really cool, and the rest of them really didn't like it. Cool. And then it came back the next year with the Guns and Roses, with some stuff drawn on my binder and some skulls and crosses, and that was the end of catechism. It was basically music. And hell, or <laughs> not music and salvation. And I said, well, I guess I'm going to hell. So do you come from a musical... That's where we edit. Do you come from a musical family? Um, not really. Um, some people on my father's side could play maybe fiddle and accordion and... The small town. But not like not anybody directly related. Like, oh, you have an uncle somewhere that might have played something, kind of. It wasn't really... No, it wasn't... the kitchen table. No, it wasn't one of those. No. No, it was just Elvis. That was it when I was a kid, because my dad loves Elvis, too. Was that just records or radio or... Um, cassettes. Cassettes? No, no eight the, tracks. Well, like the video of like the yes, Honolulu special. Yeah, yeah. Aloha from Hawaii and the 68 comeback Come special. Yeah. yeah, all the Ed Sullivan stuff. That was that was my first taste. Just watching PBS with those specials. Yeah. <laughs> there was no PBS out in the country. There was there was Channel 2 and CBC, there was Channel 7. CBC French. <laughs> Sometimes you'd get Channel 12 if the reception was just right. You know, if the, if the cows weren't blocking oh, yes. the, the radar. So was there a musical community in Dauphin when you were growing up, or was it just you, and were you, like, self-taught, or did you take lessons? There wasn't much of a musical community in Dauphin. There still really, honestly, isn't. Um, it's very weird. People don't, like, 
doing stuff there. They bring in acts though, but yeah, there's no real... But people don't go to those no, either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very yeah. it's very I feel like three and a half hours from Winnipeg is just close enough that you can just try to live through the city mm-hmm. as opposed to make your own little life. Yeah, absolutely. It's like just another suburb. Yeah. Right? I go commute. <laughs> Flin Flon, not so no, much. No, that's we gotta I, make our own fun. I think that's what I like about like I, I like going places where you kinda have to be a little crazy to live like it's like like the middle east was the same thing you go there people are using a different deck of cards it's just a whole different world because you gotta be a little bit insane to be kind of where you are and that makes it a little more fun yeah yeah. and the boring people don't show up there you know (laughs) yeah yeah oh i had a guidance counselor in the middle east he used to push his chairs and couch and furniture against the door of his apartment every night because he was scared of terrorists. <laughs> <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't last too long. He always called it the threat. The threat. Is, what's the threat like? I was like, what are you talking about? Are you looking for like, the color? Like, I don't know. <laughs> imminent? Is it imminent? I believe it's imminent. How many minutes to midnight are we? <laughs> Another day alive, we'll think of. So no, Dauphin was... It, it, Dauphin's... I don't know. It feels like people don't go out. Like, like the Stanley Cup isn't often today. Yes, very tragic. Now everybody, everybody got in a line, but there was a parade, and it was kind of sad. You know, you got to use the angle to make it look cool. But uh, people just don't like leaving their house or something. I don't know. It's it's very different. Um, but when I was in high school, a little couple jam bands with friends and stuff like that. Same thing in university. A lot of busking later on. Um, that was the first summer I didn't move home from university. I just went to the forks and busked until they kicked me out every day. <laughs> Basically, like, you do that for a couple days a week because there were spots and I didn't have a permit. And just shoving the kid who plays the bagpipes yeah, away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to play Wonderwall. Get out of here. Get out of here. i got something to say. Dude. But, uh, yeah, no, not a huge musical community, really. Just... <laughs> so then you went to U of M, and for our listeners, did I? We're old college chums. Ooh. I like you. <laughs> Back in the day, um, what I have here is film class. I remember we all we had to do monologues, and I remember <laughs> yours was your uncle's love of the Rolling Stones mixed emotions <laughs> and coin collecting. <laughs> It's all day. still true. Baby. Oh yeah, we're doing that one at Johnny's in oh, November. Yeah. None of the guys know it. I said no, we 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 we've, we've got to do this song. That is, that is your I'm making CC sing it because I won't be no, able to. I couldn't get. Th- I couldn't get through it. I would just. I. I couldn't do it. Yeah, I'd, I'm, Uncle Ron likes drinking and uh, dancing to the stones. <laughs> Steel wheels. Ever yeah, stones. it got to the point where his wife. He had this huge stereo, like a stereo that could kill you. <laughs> And um, his wife was so sick of him drinking and listening to the Stones every weekend that she got him a wireless set of headphones. And this was back in the day. And he used to just walk around the house. They're like $800. Dancing. <laughs> dancing. Probably getting brain cancer or something, right? Dancing to the Stones. Busted moves. Out of his mind. And yeah. Nobody can hear a thing. But he was living the dream. And just coin collecting online oh, or something. And, and metal, detec- yeah. metal detecting. Oh, the amount of times you get to go into abandoned yards and with a, with a metal detector about to strike it rich. Oh, I love that guy. 
Love that guy. And uh, so you and a guy named Kyle, I believe, were Earl's bartenders. Oh, we were. That's right. That, we found our dossier here. Yeah. And from I only heard the stories of it was like you guys were living the movie Cocktail, <laughs> Tom Cruise and Brian Brown. <laughs> Where you were just like, we're going to enter the Earl's Variety Contest, we're going to win. It's not and, and Kyle, just a deadly handsome man, was just whatever, whatever he wants. That, that, was, that was normally the way it worked, is I would get very excited about something and Kyle would tag along because I kind of forced him into it. And also, because I was telling her this, this is my favorite uh, Trevor, the college years oh, no. story. There was a, a movie starring the great Antonio Banderas. Oh my god! In which he played a salsa dancing teacher who was going to use that to foster the love of education into underprivileged youth. We had a whole theme party. And yes. Oh my god. And Trevor's entire was to get not just the theater or film department, the entire university to all go see whatever danced the line. It was something, and I remember. Feel the beat. I don't know what it was called, but it was something. To, oh man, it was. And he would come in for like two weeks, and he was like, "We're going out, and we're all going dance, salsa dancing, and everybody has to answer and do everything." I have plenty of play. <laughs> oh. And I was just like, "What?" I was so no. excited for a terrible movie. <laughs> like we we knew it was gonna be bad, and that we were ready. Like we. Oh, it that was, was fun. It was, I was like, really hanging his hat big on this thing it was very disconcerting because i was i've never been something seen so much ironic passion (laughs) flowing through one head that's my life that is intimidating so during i remember even even during this time at u of m you had a tremendous technical acumen for sound and microphones you must be just insulted at this paltry uh, oh, setup that we have here i love it how did you get to be this person who made things sound better um i guess i just wanted to start recording my own music and doing my own shows and i looked at the price of kind of buying your own studio versus paying someone to record and it was about the same it's like so then i get to keep all the stuff after and keep recording after so you know it was it was a lot of years of really bad trial and error you know but I just wanted to do it myself because then I could have more creative freedom kind of over it and time-wise. I like I like recording at 2 a.m. or something. Like, I don't like... 9 to 5 isn't yeah, really a rock star time. Yeah, schedule. Exactly. You have yeah. So having your own gear really made it easy. And then live sound too. I mean, sometimes you just don't have the room to take somebody on the road or you you want somebody you can trust. or So if you just learn how to do it yourself, kind of no matter what situation you're in, you can kind of... You can fake it even for a night if you have to, if something's not working out for you. And it was just another another tool, I guess, in the tool belt was, if I learn how to do this, I'm not relying on somebody else. I'm an only child, so I've got a lot of problems. And uh, I just want to control everything. <laughs> My mom says I'm cool. Yeah, yeah. No, she never. She never <laughs> oh, said Oh, jeez. It's going to be like Cece's podcast here, just full of tears. No. So were you were you performing in in Winnipeg during during the college and after, or um, were you just uh, just busking, or were you actually getting paid? Busking, I mean, I paid rent in the summer busking, and then I'd go to Dauphin and play shows there in the summer once in a while. And there was a band, uh, Love City Overdose, they were playing in Winnipeg, and I helped them record and write a bit and do stuff in the background, kind of with them. They were like my best friends, and they had a band going. And so I learned a lot through them, too, because it was like uh, they were kind of my guinea pigs, really. Um, I guess, like, 
Yeah, they would just come out. I'd say, hey, come to uh, this house out in Dauphin for the weekend, and we're going to record all weekend. And you'd get four songs and a bottle in, and all of a sudden... <laughs> it's it a was, double live album. <laughs> it was a, no, it was a lost weekend. Oh, it, okay. was, it was... Uh, there's some pretty, pretty rough times there, trying to, you know... I think one guy had never seen cows before, so that was... So I remember when we were filming our, our movie in film class, it was like, who's got a basement? It's like, if everybody goes to Dauphin, we can run Dauphin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. we were like very much considering. Yeah, I had the town on lease. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We worked on God, right? Uh, I, I was in God, I yeah. think I did Sound and Lights for yeah, you. Yeah, uh, God, there was also, uh, I did a Woody Allen impression that, uh, and uh, the great Dennis Smith, our uh, uh, he was looking at the thing and was just like, we have some nice toys here. Well, we have stuff this good. <laughs> like, he, yeah, right. talk about a guy I love. The older I get... He was, the, so, he was a lovable curmudgeon. The more I feel connected to him. <laughs> Every year I get older and more jaded, I just feel more of a kinship with Dennis. He taught the the backstage at U of M, just dressed in black. He was he was like the, the thinking man's Dave Gunn. Oh my god. <laughs> Velcro shoes, all in black, only happy when his dog was around. Uh, bright guy. Bright oh, very bright and very dark. Dangerous. Bright and dark. Those are, that's a great combination. <laughs> yeah, so then we did uh, the yeah, film stuff, uh, Sweet Meat and Spoiled, the epic... Uh, the epic double whammy. Yes, uh, the only film project, only film class in North America that does feature-like <laughs> movies, and we did two of them at oh the same time. They, uh, like George Tolls, the guy was like, the University of Texas doesn't do this, USC doesn't do this, and why? Because no one wants to see a full-length student yeah, film. <laughs> turns out, turns out. It's very expensive. But it's amazing what you can accomplish. Yeah, that, is, that is Flin Flon, really. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like, no, we're just going to do this. There was no, it was like, we have, he said the only limit is your work ethic and creativity, and everybody took that as a challenge. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Oh, that was a good... It was so fun to be inspired like that, though. Oh, he To have just, leaders uh, that could just... They don't even have to do anything. You know, they just no. look at you, and all of a sudden you were working 45 hours a yeah, week. Yeah, he, he, he was like, I have to go direct a guy Madden play, so you guys are in charge. Turns out I'm terrible on a camera, though. <laughs> terrible. My face my face is too ridiculous. <laughs> I'm too stupid for a close-up. like, And I ruin anything I'm in the background of. So that was a good lesson. That was a good kick in the face. Put me on a stage. That's where I'm okay. But, you know, put me on a camera, and it's just... You need a lot of film, a lot of memory cards. Yes. A lot of memory cards. So then, what is your education and what, English? Is that your, your learning papers? Or? English and theater, yeah. Oh, just like me. That's my exact yeah. language. English and theater, everything. Right. And now I'm teaching across the street. I can literally yeah. see my classroom from here. So then you went, what, back to Dauphin, and that was then the Toronto taught, experiment? Yeah, taught in Dauphin for two years. Taught theater and English and what else? Directed musicals, directed community productions, acted oh, you're, in... You're like the crystal cult of Dolphin. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, then, yeah, just kind of came to a point where it was like, you know, because after two years, it's a permanent contract. Oh, I see. And they own you. And, well, no, it's just, you know, you don't want to take one, because people kill for those too, right? Like people oh, yeah. really, And so you don't sure. want to take one if your well, heart's not in it. Large, you know. Yeah. So it was kind of one of those, like, oh, I don't want to take, I, I, I just can't do this. I don't see myself. And if I take this, you know, I'm never going to leave kind of thing. So it was just to uh, put everything in an old car and drive to Toronto with some roommates. And 
was there a plan or um well in the last month or two of school i recorded about you know a dozen demo songs so I had a really good sense of what I wanted to sound like and was writing. I love writing music. Like, I have more fun writing music than anything. Um, I don't pl- I, I, that's another thing here that I'd like to talk about later is kind of the original music scene. I really want to start pushing that because that's, that's where my heart is. Um, but, yeah, I was writing music, and I, I recorded, you know, about a dozen songs pretty roughly, but good quality to let – because finding, finding bandmates out in a city like Toronto is – it's tough. Like you just those things with the pull tabs and on. And Craigslist and MySpace. Yeah. So, it's, GG, yeah. so if you had something solid and it sounded good to show them and you showed them you're serious, you got a kind of better group of people. Because I, I mean, from December, I knew I was leaving in June, July. And December, I was already scouring every day looking for band members and messaging, I'm going to be there and blah, blah, blah. And just networking with people and stuff like that. And then I came in and found a, found a band in about four or five months. Um, we were, and then I would just play, you know, like a four hour slot as background music in a, in a pub or something, right? Like do that and then do the original stuff and then do covers and just to pay rent. That was the only goal. The goal was, so you were able to make it not teaching, just doing that? I never taught ever. The only thing I taught would be guitar lessons, which I mean, if you see me play guitar, that's kind of funny because <laughs> uh, I don't really, play those three chords very well. that's all you need, but I'm really, that is one thing I would say I'm good at is I could teach you how to start guitar a lot of the like loopholes and tricks and things to make it kind of not a miserable experience you can teach showmanship yeah, oh that's right yes yes but uh so no i just taught guitar lessons and played music uh did the covers mostly for money and then the original stuff to break even and we had a little rehearsal space out in etobicoke we had to take the take the subway all the way down there and then take a bus transfer to get <laughs> It was, yeah, a little rehearsal factory space where we would do our recording too, and uh, we played for a couple of years out there and then did a little a tour um, all the way from Toronto to Vancouver, and that was a hoot. And that Was, was like it the, just you guys in a van type deal? Or? Yeah, it, when it depended where we were, it was who we were playing with, because I had a band in Dauphin that I was playing with for years when I was teaching and stuff, and they can, like I just played with them like five days ago, and we did 30 songs, kind of like, just because we've done that so much, so... It was fun to have people like you could switch it and switch out and pick up people. And it was fun because I basically just messaged all my friends that live in different parts of Canada and said, can I stay at your place with my guys? Yeah. All right. And then find a bar in town and basically find every other indie artist that you like, scour their tour schedule, call all those bars. And can I play? Can I play? And eventually, you know, can I get food and gas money kind of thing? And that was the first time I really made money playing music was actually leaving Toronto. Because in Toronto, you, there was so much competition, and nobody seemed to care. Like people, people go to shows, but it wasn't you couldn't make money. And then as soon as you went to somewhere where they were glad to have someone, like it was just totally different. You know, you had full crowds and in the middle of nowhere. You know, just small towns, and they were happy to have you. And yeah. starving for yeah, you were making money. Like we came off the tour, and it was like we had money to share with each other. It was we did we did not expect that, and that's kind of where I was like, oh, you gotta like. Supply and demand, you know, supply and demand, but that, I didn't. I didn't quite get that at the time. But it was fun. It was fun. It was just right when I was leaving, um, like I was leaving Toronto. My guitar player's visa expired, and he was just he was just an ace guitar player. He's playing oh, from over, America or? Uh, from the UK. Oh. He's in, he's in Edinburgh right now. Will Howard, awesome guy. We're we're really good friends. I still get to see him 
once in a while I'll see him because his parents live in Oman. So sometimes if I'm in Oman and then I saw him in Edinburgh last summer, um, he's still playing up there doing his own thing. Um, but he was just a deadly guitar player and we were the core of the band, honestly. Like that was him and I wrote and he was a great harmony singer and, uh, yeah, we decided to go on this tour because his visa was going to expire. He never, he had never gone anywhere really across Canada. I'm like, well, let's do it. I mean, now's the time. reason is that. Yeah, and then I kind of started panicking. Like, am I just gonna like two and a half, three years of not teaching? You kind of, it's hard to get a job after that, you know. And so I was kind of panicking. Like, am I just gonna let my degree go? Um, so I kind of had a little breakdown. It was another midlife crisis, I would say. <laughs> two. This is the this is the next one. It's like, am I gonna teach again? Am I not? Am I gonna be broke my whole life? Um, and I decided, okay. And then I had a f- oh god, this is so hard right now. Um, this is emotional because I don't know if you know about the kid who's missing in Germany right now. Have you seen? Yeah, the backpacker. That's like it. this is like yeah. one of my best friends. Not my no. best friends, but he's he's my one of my best friends, absolute best friend. Wow. And he was living in Kuwait. And literally, I'd log on to Facebook every two weeks, and he was in some new part of the world doing something amazing. Oh, the mountain climbing? Yes, yeah. So yeah. And, and he, I coached him in basketball. Um, yeah, he's a good friend, honestly. And so I just called him. I said, Jeff, you look like you're having fun. Like, I don't want to go back to Dauphin. Like, can you get me a job? He's like, are you sure you want to come here? It's like, I mean, how bad? And he gave me, he showed me the ropes. Like, he told me, like, this is what it's going to be like. This is going to suck. This is going to be awesome. And, like, I was, I feel a lot of people that got into that experience had no idea what they were getting into. And they'd just get their, their asses kicked, honestly, for the first year or two overseas. But I felt like I, I came in kind of swinging because I knew what I was getting into because I knew somebody really well. But he, this Jeff guy who's, who's missing right now, um, he basically made it happen in one phone call. It was a, it was a one phone call, and they're like, well, we love Jeff, so if he says you're great, you got a job. It was like, okay. Oh, wow. So they hired me right there, and then it was awesome because it, it, it was right. I think I left. We finished our last show, and maybe three or four days later, I just left Canada. It was uh, finished playing our show. I think our last show was in remember where our last show was i remember a show on that tour where we played in dauphin which was a great gig and then the power went out it was like we did we did i think we i was doing four sets because i did the local bands i played with and some guys from winnipeg i played with and some stuff with myself and some stuff with my toronto band and for the toronto band the power just died but we all got our instruments out and we went into the crowd and we sat and kind of stood on tables and played for everybody right around them and it was it was the picture that made the the Dauphin Herald. It was a big right, intimate, fuck. an intimate big deal encounter. To watch yeah, there. power goes out, show goes on. But it was the end of the tour, and just put out another album. That was the second one. That was more of like an acoustic-y album, and hopped on a plane and headed to the desert. So does this original music exist? Do you have yeah. To, do you perform it? Or? Um, yeah. I mean, I don't put it. I, I guess I should put it on Spotify. I just haven't got around to it. Um, yeah, I really should. Um, there's one album called Pass Those Lights. Um, that's the Toronto full rock and roll. It's an EP, six songs, uh, done in Toronto. And then the other one was Running Free, and that's the acoustic album. I mean, I have copies of it. I have about 15 left, um, so I kind of want to hoard them. I don't know why. It's not like I can't get more. <laughs> Listen to my own socks. Uh, <laughs> Play them all at the same time. <laughs> 
But so, yeah, they're there. I should put them online. I guess when I'm, I'm working on another album now, or maybe kind of two separate projects. And I once I go through that, I want to update my website and I want to get those new songs online. So I'll probably go back and do my homework. When... September as a teacher is the perfect time. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's never a perfect time. There's this doesn't exist. You just got to make it. So into the desert you went to become an international man of mystery. <laughs> yeah. Was this I, teaching English or what? Did, um, I taught English. I think four slots a day, four classes of the exact same class, which was amazing. Oh, wow. It was so fun because you got so good at those lessons. <laughs> like, I, yeah, it was great. I, it, was, it was easy. I think they tried to make the job a little easier on people because they're coming to a new country. So if you get one course to prep a day, and then you had, I had my elective, which was theater, theater slash film studies, kind of, and that was just a hoot. Um, but yeah, I moved to Kuwait. It was a... Uh, How was the, the culture shock? Oh, it was a shock. <laughs> it was fun. It was like, I remember just when I... Were they not a, a whiskey-loving culture? <laughs> yeah, it was a dry country. <laughs> um, we could talk about that after, too, because I had a little business that almost got Smuggling me... Smuggling OV. That, <laughs> that almost got me in a lot of trouble. Honestly, when the plane left for the last time, it was a big sigh of relief. It was like, we made it. That uh, that car sitting in the parking lot over there was maybe funded through interesting uh, <laughs> cartels, <laughs> international, international trade, international, inter- yeah, uh, pharmaceuticals. <laughs> no, no, nothing. Just beer, wine, and cider. Um, like making yourself in the toilet. With it was an operation. It was a it was a factory. Um, but that's later. Uh, we uh, moved to Kuwait and. Um, I hadn't met Lisa yet. I was in Kuwait and uh, uh, got out of the airport and just about turned around because it was it was like two in the morning. It was August and it was maybe plus fifty two, I think. Oh. And so when the when the when the the airport doors opened, I thought I was getting hit like when you open the oven. Yeah. And it goes boom, and I was like whoa. And I remember stopping, and the lady who picked me up at the airport said, "Keep going, keep going." And then then we didn't have an apartment. Um, there was about a dozen teachers who didn't have a place to live. So they put us in a hotel for three months. So we had like, like full load hotel. Like we had roommates, which was unusual because we weren't supposed to, but we had cleaning and we had like food in the lobby. Air and conditioning. We were right by like the Gulf on where the Kuwait towers were. Like it was, uh, we were in a totally different part of the city from the rest of the teachers, which kind of sucked because you're young and you want to go there and party with all the other teachers. But then we met, we had this like groove of 12 people that we really bonded with. Like it was, uh, it was like, that's how I met Lisa. I met her the first day I got to the, the, uh, apartment or the hotel. And then like, you know, two weeks later, we're basically married, right? Like that, Cause that's what it's like over there too. I mean, if you're with someone, you got to pretend you're, they're your wife. Like there's none of that going on there. Right. Like we couldn't, even up until the last year we were there, we couldn't have a joint apartment unless we had a marriage certificate, which we didn't really care. Cause that meant we got two apartments side by side on the same floor right so it was a it was great Lance, yeah it was Lance. it was great so one 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 apartment kind of became the brewery yeah. and uh, it was it was great but then um the culture shock was wild i mean our first day out there we ended up on a yacht <laughs> this guy this it's like remington steel this kuwaiti guy we were in the middle of the gulf 
and he was asking us what we thought about the country so far. I didn't stop smiling for about two weeks. I looked stupid. I just like I'd go to the mall and I'd just walk around with a big smile and everybody would come say hi to me because I was some stupid tourist. Like I was so happy when I was there. Most people were like scared, but I was just I had a friend who was there, so I think I felt a little more comfortable. But I was so into this guy on his yacht, he his biggest problem with his yacht is that he couldn't land his helicopter on it. <laughs> And this is my, this is the first night, you know, the first night. I'm like, this is what it's going to be like. And then the next week you're camping in a desert uh, and in an old bombed out military base from the Iraqi invasion. You're playing paintball in this, like, it's a magical place of make-believe. It's, it's, uh, is, it, is there English or? Yeah, everybody there can okay. speak English for the most part. Um, when you get out into the desert and you're into like Badoon people, it's not so much, but. And uh, no music, really. No very... DJ Mahatma <laughs> Really, really. There was like... Uh, there's, it's, even to the, it's even to the point where playing non-Arabic instruments was kind of... We could never find out if it was illegal. Oh. But in public, it was not really... Um, it was rare, I guess. Yeah, and you could get in a lot of trouble. Um, until there's this thing called Wasta. And Wasta's like if you have a connection... The he's your wasta or she's your wasta and you cops give you trouble you just put them on the phone and your wasta helps you you know it's like your sponsor <laughs> yeah and i met this guy playing i can't remember what it was playing guitar somewhere and he owned a restaurant and he wanted me to play music there and that's kind of how it first started he was this place called organica fish and chips <laughs> and he was part of the royal family of course <laughs> and this guy was just loaded what was his name oh man i, sh I feel terrible about remembering his name but we were, we'd go to Michelle, Shake Michelle, and we'd go out to his place, and uh, we'd play music. And one night, he wasn't there, so I was in charge of it. I just got some speakers, set it up. He'd pay me. It was a sweet little side gig. And there was literally no live music Western in the country. So all the expats would come to this oh, stupid yeah. fish and chips place. Oh, wow. And so we just kind of had a little jam going. There was one lady who played, like, Coldplay backing tracks and played the flute. <laughs> It was really weird. She was really happy. I'm sure she was on meds. Um, good for her, you know, whatever. That, that does your thing. Uh, but that kind of started this little, where I started meeting people. Um, and then I needed a guitar. And then through, through one of the guitar shops, the guy knew me. And he said, like, hey, if you, wanna, if you want a good guitar, you got to call. And he works at a guitar shop. And he's telling me to go somewhere else. He's like, buy the cheap one. And this guy, Khaled. You go out to him in Farwania, and he's going to make your guitar amazing. I was like, okay. And, he, and he's Kuwaiti, which was like a big deal to go to a Kuwaiti's house at that time. And I took it out to this guy, and he was this just a shredder dude <laughs> living on the far end of Kuwait City. And this kind of broken down, play. not a rich Kuwaiti, which is very rare, but a cool guy. And had just crazy gear, probably the best music equipment in the entire country, but just at his house. And he would, For him? and yeah, he just liked playing and he would just smoke and play video games and play guitar. And he played like Japanese shred music, oh like, you know, like Japanese theme songs, like, oh, and, like he would, and he would do all that. And I'm like playing Johnny Cash, <laughs> but he was cool. And he was super excited that it was some, and so he stripped my guitar and I went to Romania <laughs> and bought all these parts. There was a custom shop parts outlet in Romania so I went there and I bought all the parts for the guitar and I brought it back and Khaled soldered and geared up and he made me I still have it it's still probably my favorite guitar to play and it's a 
cheap fender sanded down and kind of taken apart and then frankensteined and well, souped it up basically oh yeah he turned it it's it can play it's probably my favorite guitar it's got the best electronics it's uh and this is some random guy in the desert just uh just souped it up for me and then that kind of got me to hear about this place called bait lothan which was the real it only lasted for about 16 18 months but this was an old the first palace of the royal family, it was old. It was like 150 years old. And it was kind of with a square in the middle of it. It wasn't a real palace like you think about. It, it was a little more rustic. A rustic palace, if you will. Um, if you will. Joy, That's what we have here. Joey Aiello from... 92 City FM. Yeah, he would always... Oh my when God, he did, Trevor, can you believe it? <laughs> he would always say, if you will, on the wrestling. What he'd always do with... Uh, well, you know, Bulldog Bob Brown, if you will, it's going to be... Always, if you will. Now I say, if you will, still to this day because of... Anyway, so we're... Uh, we're natural, I guess. <laughs> Who did I... I got a picture with Lance Storm in oh, Jericho. Yes. I had a nice... I had like a bright pink windbreaker and they were basically matching me with yes. their wrestling gear so sudden impact and i had like a blonde yeah. mullet so i was oh, yeah. right in i basically was part of the tag yeah. team well, i said yeah i said guys if you need an extra one of you can't make it you know one of you becomes famous and one of you doesn't maybe <laughs> you call me i'll be your marty Janetti. um and uh sorry i had to go a little wrestling i had to but um yeah we got we got into this little palace and there was these things called a night in and they were the monthly, and it was allowed because it was in a, in, in a palace, and the royal family was okay with it. So nobody said anything. And they had a PA and a sound system, and we started, I started a band with another teacher, and then we found another guy, and we were, that was kind of our first real, that was crowds of a couple hundred people coming to this thing. And it was decent money and like a lot of fun, and people there were so desperate for art. That it was like it was because it was kind of under it was it was underground like it was if you were going to this you know you didn't want your parents to know kind of thing it was a very like low key like <laughs> it really was when we played when we played at the at organic efficient chips the cops showed up once and they like are, they shut it down and then we called the 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 prince guy and then they let us keep playing you know but it was it was a weird scary moment and then. So we got, am I rambling too much no, with the no, middle? this is great. It was really wild, though. Like, it was so, we got, in, from this, uh, we were called Never the Meter. Because when you're in a cab and you're a Westerner, the price of the cab is never what the meter says. It's like five times more. And we don't care because it's, for them, it's a lot. For us, it doesn't really matter. And so we were, that was our bad name, Never the Meter. But um, not because we were never in time. But we, um, we got kind of recruited to start playing on military bases in the Middle East for like, cause they needed entertainment. We were like a Western music and we'd get hired out for private gigs. We played like this, like Confederate bash in a basement of a parking lot. Once it was really creepy. I didn't keep those pictures. It was for a good friend actually, but it was just a weird vibe. Even maybe this was a little before you know, they were taking down monuments and stuff like, like that. They probably had very interesting yeah, tattoos. Yeah. And, uh, and then, uh, then one time H&M wanted us to play a private party, but their only request was that we learn to play simply the best by like Tina Turner. <laughs> and, and, and then we learned like it. And then we learned it and had so much fun. And then they canceled the gig. Oh, but, but we still would play simply the no, best just because it was our group, our group chat with our band still to this day is called simply the best. But we got invited to military bases and that was, wild i don't know if you ever been on a military base uh 
Not just really. You sort gun of by the PPCLI. Oh. Or, uh, that's, that's all I know. Yeah. Yeah, so, so we go to like, it, there was camps, like Camp Arfjan, Camp Bajan, and all these different, you know, eight to 10,000 US troops on a camp in the desert somewhere. And they wouldn't tell, so they, they, they wouldn't pay you. This is the, this is the best part. This is the coolest thing. This is what all my students remember. They wouldn't pay you. But in every military base, there was no alcohol. Their bases were dry, too. So we probably should have brought a little in. <laughs> but um, they, um, they had something called a PX, and that's like their co-op. Yes, yeah, okay. They have the PX on every, from MASH, yeah. on every U.S. base. There's a PX. And in the PX, there is pork. And in the rest of the country, there is not. And our agreement was you let us buy all the pork we could fit in the van. <laughs> so we would get, we get paid, not in bacon, paid in the ability to buy bacon. <laughs> and we would take coolers, like the biggest Coleman coolers you could get, and just fill them with bacon and ice and take them back. And you could sell them for 40 bucks a pack. Like it was. It was like drugs. Yeah, if you. Like up north? Oh, yeah. if you gave someone a pack of bacon for like Christmas, that was my Christmas present to my best friends. Was like, I'm gonna give you a pack of bacon, and it was like, no, it was like, it was insane to have pork. You know, you cook bacon in your apartment one weekend, and people would come knocking your door, being like, you have, can you please give us a little? And it was like that big of a deal because our whole apartment building, like eight floors, thirty-two apartments, was all teachers, so we were pretty safe, right? And we had a good doorman who who wouldn't let anybody from the rest of the country in. So it was all teachers. Cut. It, wasn't a, it wasn't a compound, but it was a, a, an apartment full of teachers. So people were very friendly. It was the most – it was like flim-flon. Like it was just crazy fun people who always were up for something. Um, but we got paid in the ability to buy bacon. Pork future. Yes, and so we would just load up. But when they pick you up, they had to, to take all your instruments about three or four days before. They take all of your gear. They had to scan it. Oh, sure. Yeah. And then they take it apart, some of it, if they didn't – and then you – come in and they'd have to, you'd have to wait in your vehicle until the the escort arrived and then they do like the mirror thing under your car oh, wow. to see if you had bombs on you and then they'd check you and then you'd have to get in the van and they wouldn't tell you where where they were going you didn't know what base sometimes you were playing on and then they'd drive you in and you'd set up and you'd play all night and then you'd go buy your bacon and then they'd escort you off and and our school always let us get days off if you said it was for the military Automatic day off, no problem. It was like, oh, of course, sure. support the troops. I'm like, well, I'm, well, I'm Canadian, yeah. but American military bases are insane. Just like, in their scope, or just their brainwashing. Like, there was like every like the like the pot machines were like waving American flag video oh, screens. Wow. There was like, on, in the food hall, there was like video game recreations of soldiers who died. And like and how they actually died, but they were like heroes at the end of it. They would die, and it would yeah. and it would show like a video game, like look at what a hero. And it was just like constant, like brainwashing everywhere you went. It was just America, 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 America. And I mean, when you're in that situation, I think you kind of have to. You can't really think too much. You go crazy, right? Um, we played on a couple bases and some pretty crazy crowds on those. So, what's your like set list for this? Is it? Country is it rock? Is it, they love, they love, they love, they love the country. They love Tom Petty. They love the Stones. The older guys love Springsteen. So the like the commanders and stuff. You play a couple. Yeah. Bruce, I have a couple of Bruce songs up my sleeve. A 
couple. I'm going down to a couple. So it was just it was just stuff that I knew really it really clicked with that crowd. And um yeah, so we played like sometimes there was crowds of like one of them was like a couple thousand people. It was at the end of a marathon or something and they all came in and watched. It was really wild. And then our last real show was like a a battle of the bands. Which is like my thing. I love I don't know why I always end up in Battle of the Bands. Like in Dauphin, that was our pinnacle of our Dauphin band was we won the Country Fest Battle of the oh, Bands. Wow. Not once. Varying the lead here. Twice. Oh, my. Yes. The Dead Flowers. And there's a band now in Canada out of Ontario, I think, called the Dead Flowers. Let's sue their ass. And they're doing exactly what we like kind of rock and roll country songs and they, I don't know about this. I don't know about they this. They must have went to Country Fest. I don't like this. But yeah, then we played uh, this. The big thing to do in Kuwait was go to the mall because the malls were like Air you know, half the size of Flin Flon. Like one mall was called the Avenues and it was like you're inside. Like it was, oh, wow. it was insane. It was, and we played this, fi- the finals of the Battle of the Band was in this mall. And there oh, was, Tiffany. there was like thousands of people. Like it was like crammed and crazy. And like my whole school showed up and they're misbehaved adolescent boys who were just going nuts. Like it was, it was, you couldn't even hear what you were playing. Like, I'm not even, it was just, they were so, like, excited for Western music. And so we played at a mall and won that, too. And that was a sweet payday. And then we kind of sold all the gear and left, (laughs) and all left the country. But that was, it was a really wild experience playing there. It was a, you really appreciated, like, everything, because it could easily become nothing instantly. It was. Was there threats of? terrorism and or just poverty or no 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 it was the safest it was so boring there it was boring like it was the most boring place there was never i never felt scared once one year i was overseas getting training and somebody blew up a mosque there but that was my last year um but i mean it was the safest it's just as safe as here honestly like it was and no poverty i mean there was there was basically for every one kuwaiti there's two servants kind of that's like i think there's like about a million kuwaitis and about two million workers and kuwaitis don't really work they just kind of have people do their jobs like my kids would come to school in ferraris and lamborghini like for real like like not like oh my no it's like no my kids like had lamborghinis when we won the battle of the bands it was like hey you want to go drive my lamborghini it's like yes i do want to go drive your lamborghini right now like it was it was a world that didn't exist like it was we'd end up at because like Westerners are kind of like a like a fancy purse or something for them. Exotic, yeah, you know? so they want to have Western friends. We ended up at one An accessory. Lisa, <laughs> like Lisa's Lisa had a family that she became close friends with, and we ended up every year invited to this ambassador cooking contest, and it was all the ambassadors in the country with all their escorts would go out to this one guy's place where there was a completely different seat. You wouldn't think you were in Kuwait. I'll just put it that way. I'm not going to throw them under the bus, but. Uh, it was like not like Kuwait and very connected family. And we showed up to like judge the cooking contest <laughs> between all these ambassadors and got to know them. So you'd be out in the, I remember when I was playing one place at this food festival, I saw the Polish ambassador and I told him, I want to go to Poland next, like in three weeks. And he, Oh, blah, and then he sent me all this stuff where to go. Like it was just the, I remember the first time I met the Russian ambassador. I was, I walked into this room. Um, we didn't have to play music there either, which was nice. Um, but he saw me and he knew I was from like Ukraine or Russia oh. or something. And everybody else wasn't. And he looked at me, he pointed all the way across the room. And he was like, you, 
me. And he held up a bottle of vodka. And I was like, oh boy. And it was just boom, boom, boom. It was, oh, amazing. Pierogies and everything. It was like a little... <laughs> you little slightly like it, was, it was great, man. <laughs> Drinking with the Russian ambassador. I'm just some schmuck from, Please don't kill me. Some schmuck from Dauphin. <laughs> oh, fun times. And then that, that kind of came to... Uh, it just, it, it, it was like we had run its course. It was another one of those, like, are we going to just stay here and we could retire in not too long if we wanted, like, younger than in Canada? or And I, I probably could have kept doing it because it was just, like, ridiculous. <laughs> the whole thing was silly. Yeah. Um, but I think for Lisa, it was a little harder. Just being a woman there wears you down after a while. It's not like it's, it's not, well, it is kind of sexist, but it's not like, she's not unsafe or anything. Like, you, nobody locked their cars there or anything. Like, there was no crime. But it was just kind of icky being stared at all the time. Yeah, and, yeah, and you don't have to cover, right? Like, it's not it's not like that. Like, it's... You, but you, you didn't want to show too much skin. Otherwise, you just have kind of creepy people walking behind you in the mall and in the market. Like, I remember I went to the bathroom for, like, two minutes once in the mall. And this, like, Kuwaiti walks up and he's like, do you like boats? Oh <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> it was just, it was a, it was a wild. It was like a dream. Like it was just insane. And then after we were gonna leave after three, and I convinced her to stay one more year. And um, so were you gonna go to Saudi Arabia next, or did you go? Or just Kuwait? But Kuwait and Saudi are like they're neighbors. Oh, okay. And most Kuwaitis are Saudi uh, tribes anyway. So all my Kuwaiti kids go to Saudi for their holidays and stuff. It was. Kuwait's it's the Ku- Creighton of Kuwait. <laughs> Kuwait is Kuwait. Kuwait is the size of like maybe two Riding Mountain National Parks, maybe Whoa. the whole country. Wow! And it's like you know, like the second the interlake region, second largest oil reserve like in the world for a like the, the the country is a little city and then oil fields. That's the whole country. Wow! That's Hence the Ferraris. Yeah. All right, there we go. Our next part, we'll talk about how they made the trip from the Mideast back to Canada and to Flin Flon and what they found, the cultural oasis that was waiting them and how Trevor and his crew has contributed to it. So if you would like to check that out, keep this spot open. We've got uh, some more Super CC Trubiac upcoming as well. He's got a great story to tell. A whole slew of your friends and neighbors and cool people getting set for the Sewer Box Office podcast. Remember, you can check it. Thanks to our folks here at Spreaker for hosting us. And thank you to Trevor, who provides a lot of the technical aspects of it. A little machine that makes it all possible. Susan Gunn's putting the kids to bed. In the meantime, in between time, I'm Raphael Saray saying good night and good podcasting.